We're in 1 Samuel 22. David is continuing in his flight from King Saul. He's departed from Gath of the Philistines where King Achish has looked upon David's bizarre behavior like David is a madman. And David and his family, mom and dad, brothers, they have now been considered by Saul to be his enemies because they're related to David. And the whole family now is on the run. So let's pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you till I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all that time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went to the forest of Herath. David and his family... has a contingent of distressed, debt-ridden, malcontents that gather to him. And there's about 400 of them. David says, I will be your captain. Now David is on the run, but uh, but he's been anointed king by Samuel prior to this. And now David is being chased like a defenseless prey. This past week, I was mowing along my fence line that borders my hay fields, and I scared up a rabbit. This rabbit, just that same morning, had escaped them mowing the hay fields. And He heard my lawnmower and off he goes. He just takes off running. And he runs out into the hay field, but it's been mowed. There's no place for him to hide. And he's simply running with no direction. You just see him going, where are you headed, bud? (laughs) You know? (laughs) And he's looking for some place to hide. And it's kind of like David was doing. David is just looking for some place, some safe haven where he can just hide from King Saul. And there's this large cave at Adullam, which is a little southwest of Jerusalem. But caves are not a pleasant place to live or even hide in for any length of time. But while David is in this cave at Adullam, he writes several psalms. Sometimes God has to put us in a position of distress to get our attention. And David is there. And David writes several songs. But notice who is with David. 
He's got discontented people there. He's got families that is there with him. Now they're also enemies of Saul. And he's got debtors, people that haven't made it in the, uh, the real world, and they're in debt, and they gather to David. And it's not just a few people. There's 400 of them that have come to seek uh, protection from David. 400 men who look to David to feed them, be their protection, and, uh, you know, and provide for them. But these 400 men will become David's mighty men of valor. But that hasn't happened yet. Right now, they're just malcontents, you might say. And they're simply a burden right now to David. And they're all gathered there in this, must have been a large cave in Adullam there. Uh, a few years back, I was talking with a Calvary Chapel pastor of Santa Cruz, California. If you know anything about Santa Cruz, it's sort of on the the hippie-ish side. And in his early years of planting a church there, he longed, he desired for a few normal people just to come to his services. He had one fellow, he said he would show up every Sunday, spring, summer, fall, it didn't matter, dressed like Santa Claus. Now, can you imagine? Here you got Santa Claus sitting on your front pew, and, and you got to preach to him. <laughs> but a lot of Calvary chapels, we seem to draw a contingent of strange people. And we've had our share in the past. And I'm not real sure about some of you today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're doing good now. <laughs> but David... He's wanting to take care of his parents that have come to him. They've uh, fled to him. And they're elderly. And David goes to Moab. And there's a connection there. Ruth, the grandmother of Jesse, David's father, was a Moabite. So they're distant relatives of David. Where he's seeking, seeking this sanctuary for mom and dad. And it's... He's going to relatives. But while David is there in the cave, uh, or there at Moab, rather, the prophet of Gad tells David, leave the stronghold and go to the forest Hereth in Judah. David listens to him, and David obeys. Now we have a shift in the scene, and we go and pick up on King Saul, and that's in verses 6 through 19. When Saul heard that David and his men were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a uh, tamarisk tree in Ramah with a spear in his hand and all his servants standing around him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? And then in, uh, inflection here is that David is a tribe of Judah. He's not a Benjamite. He will not take care of you like I will. And all of you have conspired against me 
And there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me my son has stirred up my servants against me to lie in wait as it is this day. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, and Ahimelech the son of Ahitub. He inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions and made him and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and his father's house, and the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. He answered, Here I am, my lord. Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, and you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait, as it is this day? So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding as as honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in his house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech you and all your father's house. Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priest of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priest of the Lord. So the king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priest and killed on that day 85 men who were a linen uh, ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priest, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkey and sheep, with the edge of the sword. So Doeg is more than willing. I'm stepping on something here. Doeg is more than willing to do the king's dirty work. Saul, he's there under tamarisk tree with a spear in his hand and all his servants are about him. Saul, he makes a speech and it's similar to what we would call like a pep rally. And he says, listen up you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse David, of course, give you fields or vineyard or positions as leaders in Israel. I will do this. David would never do that for you. Not one of the Benjamites has revealed to me that my own son has made a covenant with David. He's he's pointing the finger at him, Saul is saying, If you really were my friend and I take care of you, you would have let me know of this covenant between Jonathan and David. Excuse me, not one of you sympathizes with me. I'm your king. While my own son stirs up 
my own servants against me. Where is your loyalty? This is what Saul is trying to say to him. Doeg, the Edomite, he sees his opportunity now. His chance to gain Saul's favor by betraying Ahimelech, the priest, and the priests that are there at Nob. Doeg, a descendant of Esau. And that should say enough to any of us uh, familiar with scripture about Doeg's character. A descendant of Esau. And Doeg says, hey, King Saul, I saw Ahimelech give David bread and Goliath's sword. And Saul then calls for the priest to come to him, and he asks, Why have you conspired against me, Ahimelech, in helping my enemy, David? But Ahimelech, he doesn't cower down. He doesn't uh, uh, take the insult. Maybe it's because he realized he was in trouble already. But he's not going to be found cowering before Saul. And he says to Saul, who among your servants is more faithful than David? Who also happens to be your son-in-law, king? He's your relative, not ours. And Ahimelech challenges Saul. He challenges his accusation, telling Saul, it's your son-in-law. You thought enough of David to make him your son-in-law, and why are you now singling me out as a traitor? And he says, King, I knew nothing about all of this, good or bad. But in verse 16, we read, Saul, he's heard enough. And he says, Guards, kill the priest of God because they helped David. That's rather severe. But the guards... They have a loyalty to the priest, and they will not obey this direct order by Saul, and they will not strike the priest. So Saul turns to this Edomite, Doeg, and he says, you killed the priest of God. Doeg, his name happens to mean fearful, is more than willing to do this, and he kills 85 priests of God. He wipes out the whole little village or city of Nob. He kills 85 men, plus their wives, their children, their infants, and even their animals. Doeg is more than pleased to be King Saul's martyr, not murderer, but uh, assassin. He's, he's delighted that Saul would even ask him. In the Muslim world, they have the law enforcers, the assassins. And many of these assassins take pleasure in being the one who executes. They enforce Shi'ara law, and they're happy to do so. They love the fear and respect and the power that they hold over the common people. And Doeg is just like a Muslim assassin. He delights in killing, even if the one he kills is a priest of God. 
Back in 1 Samuel chapter 3, God is talking to the prophet Samuel while he's still a young boy, while he's still uh, in the house of Eli, and God has something to say to Samuel and Eli's evil sons. He says, I, God, have told Eli, I will judge his house for the iniquity that his sons do, and he did not restrain them. Eli wouldn't stop them. And I will not take any sacrifice or offering from Eli to forgive him or give him atonement. God says, I'm not going to forgive Eli for this sin that he has committed. And Doeg, in all his evil murders, is simply fulfilling God's prophecy to Samuel concerning Eli and the priesthood there at Nob. It has come to pass what God told Samuel. Does this excuse Doeg? No, no it doesn't. Doeg is a vile, evil man, and it doesn't excuse him, but God uses the evilness of this man to fulfill his prophecies. Evil men serve a purpose in this world. Their evil, murderous ways should point us to a loving, merciful God. We should say, I want nothing to do with that. I choose the goodness of God. It's difficult in our world today to reconcile all the abortions of not only of America, but the whole entire world. These infants that are killed in the womb, upon their death, I think they go to be with my, me personally, I think they go to be with the Lord. And so you have these little infants, these little young ones, praising and worshiping the Lord. Knowing that these babies are in the presence of their creator, Jesus, helps me to deal with the brutal crime where they were aborted and murdered. Now, recently we had the Las Vegas shootings where 58 people were killed. Quote, unquote, innocent victims is how uh, they're portrayed. And everybody's asking, well, what would motivate this man to kill 58 people he does not even know, take all these lives, and then kill himself? What would make this man do it? But as Christians, what goes through our mind when we think of the lawmakers that pass laws giving a person a right to kill a baby within their own body? How can we as a society be compassionate for those 58 killings in Vegas and the 500 people that were wounded? And we can feel for them, but how can we turn a blind eye to all the aborted babies that are going on at the same time? 
Let me give you a few statistics. According to the Center for Disease Control, in the years 2011, 12, and 13, over 2 million babies were aborted. 2 million. That's 2,000 babies a day are killed. That makes the 58 killed in Las Vegas seem minuscule. Not that that wasn't a tragedy. I'm not trying to say that it was. But get things in perspective. 2,000 babies died that same day. Now, we cannot speak of abortion without speaking of God's forgiveness. Because abortion is so prevalent and many people have been affected by it. Many people live a guilt-ridden life because of if you've been part of an abortion or know somebody that has, offer them Jesus. There's forgiveness for it. There's forgiveness being part of an abortion. And you can't talk about abortion to any size group without someone in that group having been affected by abortion. But there is forgiveness by our Lord. Repent and enjoy the times of refreshing. The guilt of abortion cripples many mothers and fathers. Don't allow it to cripple someone you know. Offer them Jesus and his forgiveness. But Doeg, the Edomite, he is Saul's killing machine. And he takes pleasure in killing God's people, even their animals, along with nursing infants. If you're anything like me, when you watch evening news, I see a report of a parent killing their child, and I don't handle it so well. In truth, I grieve over it, that a child would be killed for whatever reason by those that are supposed to protect him, his, his parents. And we have this Edomite Doeg causing all of Israel to grieve for the city of Nob where all the priests were killed. And... There's great grieving going on in Israel because of this one Edomite. But let's close by reading chapter uh, 22, just four verses, 20 through 23. <clears throat> now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled to David. And Abathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priest. So David said to Abathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would surely tell Saul, then notice what David says, I have caused the death of all these persons of your father's house. David doesn't excuse himself for a moment. And he, he tells Abathar, stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. But with me, you shall be safe. Ahimelech has one of his sons escape, Abathar, and he flees to David. And he gives David the terrible news that Doeg has been Saul's assassin. 
And David says, I knew Doeg would tell Saul. And then David says, and it's my fault. I have caused the death of many in your family, Abathar. So he says, stay with me. Do not fear. I will protect you. And Abathar and David now have a common enemy, and that is Saul. But he says, if you stay with me, you'll be safe. The slaughter by Doeg gets David back on track where he needs to be in his responsibility to watch over and protect the people of Israel because he has been anointed their king even though he is not king yet. And David's one of his responsibilities is to take care of the priest of God. Do we take care of one another? Whenever we see a fellow Christian suffer, when any part of the body of Christ is persecuted or even martyred, it should be a wake-up call to us. It should be a wake-up call to us that Satan is out to kill Christians. Don't let it surprise you. Satan hates Christians, and he wants to kill them. And we have a God who's loving and kind and over Satan, and thank God he has mercy upon us. We even read during the Great Tribulation that the martyred, those that have been killed for not taking the mark of the beast, will cry out to God and say, avenge us of those who murdered us. <clears throat> and God hears their cry. So what about you and I? What responsibility do we have? We want to be, as Christians, as a church, part of the solution to problems. We support, in a small way, choose life, save a life. And we've done so for about 10 years. It's not a new thing. We've been doing this for a while. And Choose Life, Save a Life counsels pregnant young women, usually unwed. We Choose Life counsels them to have their baby. Have your child and we will help you. So indirectly, you and I who don donate to Choose Life, Save a Life, have rescued a few children from being aborted. That's being part of the solution. And we pray that God will bless the efforts of Choose Life and bless them and help them to reach these young mothers and help these mothers to have their baby. And may God bless us for being a little part of the solution. Amen. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.